Hey everybody, it's my pleasure to welcome you to yet another episode of the Chris Pete cast. Um, we'll keep this intro very short because I don't really have that much to announce, but thanks for everybody who listens, subscribes, and downloads. It really means a lot to me that you guys continue to do that, and for all of you that have written some reviews, we've had some more of that come in and some ratings on iTunes. If you haven't taken the time uh, to do that, I would ask you to just pop over to iTunes um, and you can do that. Uh, give us a rating, write a review if you want to, uh, it just helps. You can also like the page on Facebook, sharing content over there, and it'll let you get updates about the show and make it easier to share it with other people. This episode is with um, Senior Pastor at Luther Church of Hope, Mike Householder. I have uh, known Mike for a while, but never had the opportunity to sit down and have an extended one-on-one conversation with him. He is a very interesting guy, um, really great to talk to. And uh, I apologize in advance. He, he has this way of drawing things out of you. And so he got me talking a little bit more than I usually do in the episodes. But um, that's okay. That's why this is a, a chat show and not a, an interview show. So um, I want to thank Mike for being uh, so generous with his time. And I want to thank you guys for continuing to listen. And I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Well, welcome everybody to episode, what did I say? 12. 12 of the Chris P cast. I'm in Mike Householder's office, directly adjacent to Jeremy Johnson's office, so we just moved down one. I guess we have to do Ganary next and go over to the next office. That would be a really interesting podcast. We'll yeah, you that. should. He'd I'll be just good. go all the, all around the pod. That, we would love to have you. Take take a tour of the Hope staff. <laughs> and then what, we'd end with Mark, right? And the, Yes, we that, which would be an incredibly good way to end. There you go. Yeah. It's summer series. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so the man you're here talking is Mike Householder. Um, Mike, you can tell us a little bit about what you do, and then we'll have a conversation about who you believe you are. Sure. Thanks, Chris. Good mm-hmm. to be here with you today. Um, so my name is Mike Householder. I'm the senior pastor here at Lutheran Church of Hope, and I've been in this position since 1993. Wow. And it started real tiny. Yeah, real tiny. And so, yeah, when I when I got here in the summer of 93, uh, there were maybe 20, 25 people, if, if, if you really wanted to stretch it, like yeah. with out-of-town relatives, um, who were on the roster, they called it, mm-hmm. of this developing church. And uh, maybe 10 or 12 showed up on a Sunday, and that included, you know, people in my family. <laughs> so it was a very, very small group. And um, it was officially called a restart. Oh. Uh, the pastor who was here called a mission developer before me. He was here for two years. And um, through a whole series of events that really he didn't have any control over, um, he couldn't find a place to worship uh, that was anywhere near the area they're trying to reach um, and start this church here in West Des Moines. So they ended up worshiping in an office building in Urbandale. Mm. You know, the poor guy was just stuck. And, uh, after two years, I think he felt called to go somewhere else. So he became this great pastor up in Minnesota and that opened it up for the Bishop to reach out to me. And next thing you know, I'm here and the church is, is restarting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you went to undergrad Went, went to undergrad at Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota. Okay. And I had a double major in English literature and communication theory. Mm-hmm. Is that the Concordia St. Paul? Do they call it that? No, it's, it's two different places? So, so that's real confusing for a lot of people. Uh, there are a lot of Concordia colleges or Concordia universities oh, around the country. Yeah. And all of them, I think all of them except one, are all affiliated with each other. Mm-hmm. And the one that isn't is the one I went to, oh. uh, which is 
the, the Concordia in Moorhead, Minnesota. My parents, the only reason I asked is my parents went to Concordia St. Paul. Oh. So I was like, oh, maybe, but... No. Yeah, yeah, so after uh, college, when I went to seminary, I went to Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, mm-hmm. so we knew about Concordia. Yeah, that was going to be my next one, was where I went to seminary. That was on my list of seminaries when I was thinking about going to seminary. It was Luther. But yeah. then I went a different route, obviously. So. Yeah. Um, so Mike and I, a lot of you that listen to the show will probably have gathered. Mike and I knew each other from when I used to work here. Um, I was here, I think Perry and I have decided for three years, but I'm not sure how long. <laughs> um, and they were, you guys were kind enough to give me an opportunity right out of call, or while I was still in college after doing an internship, and... Uh, it was really um, a unique experience that I, I've only recently come to appreciate how mm-hmm. kind of rare it was for somebody who really had no idea what they were doing to be put in that situation. But well, it's a good match thing because we don't always know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I I remember uh, that well and and always appreciated what you brought Thank to you. the worship team. Um, I I always felt like when you were leading worship here. Uh, and you still lead worship as part of the mm-hmm. team and in the band now, which I appreciate as a volunteer. But when you were on staff and leading worship, uh, you could tell your heart was in it. Oh, and it you. And it was genuine. And that meant, that that's that to me is the most important thing. Thanks. Yeah. I just, it was, um, as long as you're having fun. I would always tell everybody, they would tell you before we went on stage, you go, hey, everybody, just remember, have fun. Because if you're not having fun, people can tell. Yep. And you worry about, well, I can't, we have to take this real seriously because if we screw up, and I'm like, no one's going to know that, no, so just no. have a good time with it. It's, it's, most humans take themselves too seriously oh, anyway, yeah. just yeah. for starters. Mm-hmm. So that's a good reminder. Um, one of our sort of unwritten core values around here is we take God very seriously, but not ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's really freeing because it's mm-hmm. so honest. Um, we know who's doing this, mm-hmm. the good stuff, mm-hmm. and it isn't us. Um, and so we, we would be off base if we took credit for it mm-hmm. and it's funny you say that that's what they used to say on the worship team because every time my wife's sitting by me before I get up to preach the last word she'll always tell me is have fun yeah um, because I think she knows me I think she knows I'm nervous I think yeah. she knows I'm gonna melt <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I take myself too seriously so she just kind of nudges me and says you know it's in your heart. Have fun. There's not, yeah, there's nothing. Remember, you, lo- you love doing it. That's right. You know? and, and, and remember, it's ultimately not really about you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. we're uh, vessels and clay jars that God shapes. And I have the same kind of thing before I speak anywhere, which I get invited to do okay. every once in a while. And I'll do this whole process and go through the notes and be like, okay, I'm ready. I've got it down. And then I'll go there and I'm like, why would anybody ever want to listen to anything I have to say about anything. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> Jeremy said the same thing. He, he said uh, er, almost every week, I'm like, I think I just forgot everything I was going to say. Oh, yeah. It, 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 that's the thing about what we affectionately call Jeremy and I preaching without a net, you know, because mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't really have notes. We have our PowerPoint up there, and that helps. But you know, it's kind of like a cheat sheet. But yeah. for the most part, you know, there's no manuscript, there's no notes. And... Um, maybe just little doodles here and there mm-hmm. on a post-it note uh, or up on the table. But uh, that's when you do that. There are moments when you kind of think, "What have I got myself into here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of dangerous. Uh-huh. <laughs> what if I fall?" <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had that. I, I do the same thing. I don't, I'm not a manuscript person. I can't be because then it just turns into me reading. Yeah. Um, and I'll look, but I've had these moments where I'll look down at a note and just go. I, what was I talking about? Yeah. 
<laughs> and then two hours later, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I remember what that was going to be. That would have been really good. I wish I would have remembered to say it. Timing's everything, Chris. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, I was explaining before that the whole deal with this is um, asking people who they believe they are. So, Mike, who do you believe you are? Uh, I'm a child of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's first and foremost, uh, which sort of tails off of what we were just saying not taking myself too seriously I'm I'm a 52 year old man but Mm -hmm. I'm still a child uh, to my heavenly father and and to say that I think it forces all of us who want to say that and receive that gift of being in God's family to to say you know it's it's, uh, we're, we're not as strong we're not as smart we're not as together we're not as polished as sometimes others might think we are or as we might trick ourselves into thinking we are. So as a child of God, there's a dependence there, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is uh, rich uh, and, a, and a blessing because it's honest mm-hmm. and the truth sets us free. Mm-hmm. And so there's that part of it. And then the other part of it is, the bigger part of it is, I mean, right out of Scripture, it says, through belief, John chapter 1, God gives us the power to become children of God. Mm-hmm. And that really summarizes the whole relationship of faith. It summarizes Christianity. Mm-hmm. We don't have some sort of, um, you know, weird, distant relationship with a God who's just parked somewhere off in some cosmos, you know, mm-hmm. far, far away. But we've got a relationship with a God who loves us like a good father, a heavenly father, a perfect father. Uh, and and that's you know, the greatest blessing of my life. So mm-hmm. if you ask me who I am, I'm going to start there. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing uh, to me and the biggest blessing of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a real sense of, you know, when you're a child, you're so vulnerable. And yeah. and, um, and very, two words that jumped out at me while you were speaking it was being vulnerable and being authentic. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I was thinking, like, children are vulnerable. Are they authentic? And yeah, they are, because they don't know how to not be. Yeah, it's it's refreshing to be around kids because they haven't learned how to fake it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for the most part. Yeah. You, you can, you, even at five or six, they you can start, start to, to fake them. a little, right? Yeah. Um, but, but it's a little more pure. It's mm-hmm. a little more honest, and I think that's what makes it so refreshing to be around kids. As grown-ups, that's something that's probably a constant struggle for us is we have to we have to remember, you know, authenticity is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, not just for others around us, but for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, it's that point, at some point we must have all woken up. It's almost like you wake up one day and you go, oh no, people have opinions about me and I don't know what they are. <laughs> yeah. And apparently they matter, you know. Yes, and that changes everything, cha- doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it changes, you, just that loss of being a kid and not caring and and all that stuff. You it's know? really a loss of innocence, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Because now, uh, you know, you're you're being molded and shaped not just by who you are, and you haven't really spent any energy or time worrying about what other people think, and suddenly you do. Mm-hmm. And when you do, um, that that innocence just kind of shoots right out the door, and mm-hmm. and now you're now you're in a different existence, yeah. in a different world. Uh, what do people? What will people think if I do this, mm-hmm. or if I say this, or if I go that way instead of this way? Mm-hmm. Um, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that there was a time in which? Because I think that this place here, especially my experience, has been that 
the authenticity is very val- highly valued. Um, people are, it's a space that's created where people are allowed to be open and be vulnerable. And uh, do you think that that's, that's something that the, ch- that the church used to be otherwise? Because I don't remember that necessarily growing up in the church, that that was a thing that I was told or encouraged, in, yeah. you know. Good thought, good question. Um, I think, generally speaking, there's a big yes to that. Mm-hmm. I think in specifics, it depends on sure. context and, yeah. and people's own experience. So I had this wonderful advantage of growing up uh, with my dad as a pastor, and other than my junior high years when he was working for the whole denominational church and, mm-hmm. and representing the church around the country and the world, he was a parish pastor. And so he kind of approached it this, not kind of, he definitely approached it this way too, with authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have an air like, well, I'm the pastor, so I have some special hotline to God and you don't. Um, it was more the priesthood of all believers that the, yeah. the New Testament talks about. We're all fallen sinners and saints all at the same time who are this wonderful dichotomy of complicated people yeah. who need a a grace, a God with amazing grace mm-hmm. for us, uh, or we're not going to have a relationship. So when we can be honest about that and our need for God's grace, it opens us up to that freedom of of saying, this is who I really am and I don't have to fake it. Mm-hmm. But it also opens us up to a deeper relationship with our creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, now talk about changing everything, mm-hmm. you know, that, that changes everything. That's why for me, uh, you know, it's not just for me, but this is one of those verses that really pops off the page for me is Romans 12. Mm-hmm. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't. It's human nature, and, and there's no way around it. You're going to worry about what people think to some degree or on some level or at some point. But try not to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed yeah. uh, by the renewing of your mind through Christ Jesus. And uh, another text that was in my daily Bible readings this week from Mark 8, what does it profit to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Mm-hmm. You know, if you lose who you really are because you're trying to become something that God never made you to be, mm-hmm. well, that's just an exercise in futility if I ever heard of one. Yeah. I mean, no matter how successful you are at faking it, yeah, it's still not going to be satisfying because it's not who you are. And I think that his, we, history has proven that, that that all catches up to you at some point, no matter, like as you, as you put it, no matter how good you are at pretending that, you know, I don't need these things or I don't, um, I know who I am. I don't, I don't need the church. I don't need that kind of relationship. I have found, especially with millennials and the conversations yeah. that I've been having with people and the reason that people listen to this, I think, is because they maybe haven't tapped into the fact yet that they really want to be having conversations about who, who am I? What does all this mean yeah. beyond all this stuff after college where, okay, I went to college, I got a job, I got married maybe in some cases, maybe we're having a kid or there's one on the way, or you know, we bought a house, we, I'm hitting all these benchmarks, and yet I don't feel any more full than I did before I started the whole thing. It's really interesting to hear you say that and put it in the, in, under the, the, the kind of the category of millennials mm-hmm. and generational kinds of thought I'm really I've always been intrigued by that Um, and I know that uh, from other generations outside looking in millennials tend to get hit uh, a lot and there are a lot of stereotypical criticisms that get thrown that way one of the on the opposite end of that though one of the things that I find really refreshing generally speaking about millennials is 
they really are hungry for this authenticity. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they, one of the things that they correctly um, critique about older generations, mm-hmm. uh, my generation, they look at us and they say, great, you succeeded, but you're faking it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they can smell it. And, they, and I think one of the reasons this church has been able to become kind of multi-generational and yeah, we have a lot of boomers, we have a lot of Gen Xers, but we have a lot of millennials too, and kids, obviously, mm. thousands of kids. Yeah, but, so many kids. <laughs> but, but a lot of young adults, and young adults seem to be the, the part of the body of Christ that's missing in a lot mm-hmm. of churches. And I think one of the reasons, without even necessarily thinking through it too much, that we've been able to connect with one another, hope and millennials, is because uh, millennials can smell uh, fakeness. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a lot of that around here. We have a lot of faults. We have a lot of things that are less than perfect about hope. But it's real, and, it, and, and it's genuine. And I, think the reason and I think there's a connection there because of it. I agree. And I think that the reason, you know, that people tend to um, not come looking to the church for those things, because I think you're right, there is certainly that sense of these, this is something I value. I, I want to find, but I think they just don't know where to look to find it. And why would I go to the church as, as a millennial who has probably gone at some point and not had that experience. So you said something right there, and then I combined that with something you said earlier that really triggers a, almost a new thought for me, so I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Um, so we're, what the show's all about. Yeah, so, so we're learning as we chat, mm-hmm. right? Which is the way every good conversation mm-hmm. goes if, if we're humble enough to be teachable. Y- you talked about earlier how... Um, the church used to be, mm-hmm. you know, in general, and I yeah. think there's truth to that. And I think when the church is posing as something, you know, the, trying to be uh, more religious than we really are, trying to be more moral than we really are, trying to pretend that we're somehow um, an elite, you yeah. know, a group a, apart from all those people who don't go to church. Yeah. And, and we put some fake distance between us instead of acknowledging we're all sinners in need of a savior. And that's where the change happens. Mm-hmm. That, that's where the, where the uh, transformation, uh, the mm-hmm. potential for that transformation happens. And so maybe that's one of the things the church needs to try harder on mm-hmm. is being even more authentic. Something that I think uh, in the midst of all our flaws comes pretty naturally here and in a lot of other congregations I've been in and hang out with when I go around and chat with them. But... Uh, the reality is a lot of churches just don't want to be honest about who they are. So that's where the hypocrisy comes in, right? And Mm -hmm. when there's hypocrisy, we lose our effectiveness for fulfilling the mission Mm -hmm. that God's given to us. And think of all the, even if you were sort of tangentially connected to the church, think of all the scandals of the last several years that have put a bad taste in people's mouths about it and and also speak directly to the, why would I go there? See all the stuff they were lying about? See all the stuff that they were covering up? Why would I go there? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and so why would you go hang out in a place where you feel like, first and foremost, you're going to be judged? Yeah. Uh, secondly, you're going to be judged by people who are hypocrites. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and so now that's like uh, uh, strike two and and strike three is if you throw in some irrelevance on top of that, mm-hmm. um, and and it's all about something that has no connection to, to real life. Yeah. Then there's just a complete strikeout and a mess. And yeah. and I think the church humbly has to confess that and mm-hmm. say we're sorry because that's not. Here here's the part of it that I think is important to say too. Not just 
woe is the church, isn't that terrible? That's true. But if we can confess it, honestly say, you know, that was wrong of us Mm -hmm. as the church and come clean and tell the truth, then together we can look at it and say, still the church with all its flaws is the hope of the world Mm -hmm. and every generation needs it uh, uh, for for all times as imperfect and messed up as it is if it can be real and authentic Mm -hmm. then there's still a need for that Mm -hmm. in everybody's lives Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think because I think God wired us up to need each other and what church does at its best is it draws people together in community Mm -hmm. and it draws people into uh, communion with our creator Mm -hmm. and those aren't like throwaway options yeah yeah (laughs) I found, you know, when I was in the Navy that um, because I was a religion major, people, I, I ended up taking, you know, people wanted to have conversations about God. And I think I said to Jeremy just so they could yell at me about why they don't believe in God. And I was like, <laughs> okay, that's, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, and I would sit and listen to people. And, but now you're saying that, I'm realizing like, oh, I was taking, I was the stand-in for them. You represented. For everybody. Every, every single part of the church that had ever done anything wrong. Yeah. Here's a guy who's going to sit and listen to me complain to him about all this stuff and I did and a lot of time would find like you know what I I don't like that stuff either I hate that that happened too I I don't know what to tell you about you know right right that you the reason I said good is because people need to be heard Mm -hmm. everybody has a story and unfortunately for a lot of folks and and a lot of millennials in particular as long as we're on that subject part of their story is I felt judged, or I felt burned, or I felt um, the hypocrisy of church, and I just, I'm mad about it, mm-hmm. and I need to express that. Yeah. Because I think underneath that, though, is it's really hopeful. Yeah. Because you don't get mad at something that you don't care it about. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. So if you're mad at religion, or the church, or mm-hmm. God, it's because deep down you care. And, and you sense the potential for something more. Mm-hmm. And you sense that there could be a better way. Yeah. Uh, and, and there should be a better way. Yeah. And you're longing for it. So good on you for listening and letting them, you know, uh, express their mm-hmm. hurt and their anger. Mm-hmm. And it, I found that my, in my personal experience has been that... Um, and I, I will say this for the sake of telling you, people that are listening have heard me say this a couple of times, but that's fine, um, that I, I grew up in the church but didn't let it matter for a long time, if that makes sense. Yes. I was going um, I was going to be a pastor for a little bit yeah. and knew a lot of stuff about God but was falling very short in the having an actual relationship and letting it be something that actually mattered. Right. And then after... I went overseas and came back and then especially last year after getting diagnosed with post-traumatic stress and dealing with all that stuff I suddenly I was sitting with Richard Webb and we were having a conversation about resurrection because I was trying I like I spent a lot of time struggling with atonement theology because I just didn't understand right I literally wrote in my senior paper I don't I had a page where I said I don't understand what the cross is for in like in a note yeah because I really started thinking about it and I was like what does that even mean for everybody like you know um and I, I was talking to Richard about it, and I had that a moment where I think for the first time ever at 29 years old, I really, really let the gospel change everything for me, yeah. which was that it allows... Resi- the, the, the cross itself and the, the message of resurrection is powerful because it means that all of the stuff that you have gone through is going to be repurposed into something better. 
yes. into something other, including, you know, depression and all the things that I've fought with that are, I said this in a sermon I gave recently, so I'm kind of rehashing, but Good. that I, that I, that I, um, that are supposed to kill you don't get to now because of that. <laughs> and I was like, gosh, that's the coolest, that's the best message ever. Yeah. But it took all that time, you yeah. know? And I think that, I don't know if you think this is true, but that people kind of come in and they expect, they're like, everybody told me that God changes everything. So I'm going to go sit there one day and everything, I better feel different when I leave, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's the, um, that's the power of the resurrection mm-hmm. is, uh, it does change everything. That doesn't mean that there's one window of opportunity for that to happen. And right. somebody comes to church and it's got to happen right then and there and now. And if it didn't, then either it's not really true or I'm not really worthy of it or, mm-hmm. or, or all yeah. these false conclusions. It just means it's the beginning of a journey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the beginning of a process. And that's fascinating to hear you talk about kind of the way the cross started to mean something more to you. And that typically happens when people start to see the connection between the cross of Jesus Christ and the victory that uh, I love to emphasize the importance of the victory Mm -hmm. uh, in atonement theology, that it's not just Christ as a substitute for us. It's not just Christ as a sacrifice for us. Sure. Fine. But and I don't mean sure, fine, like that's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a huge deal. Look. Yeah. So, you know, that's nice. So that. But and what that. I really want to say. <laughs> but but there's victory. Mm-hmm. And there's victory over things. I love the way you said that. So depression, I'm going to just paraphrase yeah, right, yeah, your yeah. words. So, so depression doesn't get to beat me. It mm-hmm. doesn't get to win the victory for me. Uh, there's something bigger. There's something higher. There's something deeper and stronger. And that's the cross and and the resurrection that when when the cross gets applied to real life real world suffering mm-hmm. that uh is is so overwhelming that you wonder if you're going you're going to survive yeah then you start to realize oh my, my goodness this is real and that's one of the great things about having so many people in recovery around here from all sorts of things mm-hmm. Um, it, they know there's a God yeah. <laughs> and they've experienced his power yeah. uh, and the power of the resurrection. I have said before, and I'm still kind of parsing this out as like a theory, mm-hmm. but I really believe that all of us at some point have to have a moment wherein God had to be real. Yep. And if you haven't had that moment, then you can still believe God exists. But when you have that happen to you, then it really changes. The dynamic of the relationship changes in a very big way so right so for a lot of people it's a lot of different things but those God gets real moments Mm -hmm. um, those those are holy and I don't mean holy in some sort of climb up some spiritual mountain and experience this pinnacle of uh, of goosebumps and all this I'm talking about holy like God sets it apart for you Mm -hmm. sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's strong and sometimes it's somewhere in between but for anybody who's listening to this I, I would just say keep your heart and your mind open to that. Not, not some, you know, uh, it, it doesn't have to be some massive, uh, you know, overwhelming experience. Uh, it, it can sometimes be a, a subtle thing and sometimes can be a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to say, and I didn't make this up. I, I heard this somewhere and it just 
gets repeated by me. But, you know, there are crockpot Christians and there are microwave Christians. Mm. Some people get zapped. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, they're cooked and that's Mm -hmm. good. Uh, And other people, it's a slow cook and Mm -hmm. it's a process. And sometimes the crockpot turns out better. You know, I mean, (laughs) it it took its time and and so there's a depth to that. Uh, And either way, though, you know, the food's cooked. And either way, it's, it's, you know, we don't want to limit God and say there's only one way he can do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it's important to uh, stay open to it. And so I would encourage anybody listening, just again, um, you you can't make it happen, but be open to it. And that's the, and and the the thing I would say too about that is um, spend time either talking to people, just chatting with people and talking about, here's the stuff that's happened to me or go to therapy where that's their whole job. Exactly. (laughs) And because you might find that it's happened already or it's started already, but you just never took a minute to look back and go, you know, oh, okay, yeah, now I see. And maybe you didn't have the perspective to. Yeah. Um, in, in the midst of going through everything that I went through, um, I always had this sense of, like, things are supposed to get better than they are. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it wasn't a, like, it wasn't even in the context of, God is going to make everything okay, because mm-hmm. that felt inauthentic to mm-hmm. me. It was just like, I just have this feeling that this is supposed to get better. And I look back on that now, and the, the, it, this sounds dramatic, but I think it's true. If I hadn't had that feeling, there's a good chance I would have ended up a statistic of one of the, you know what I mean, yeah. of one of the 22 a day that don't find that hope and, yeah. and uh, choose to end their lives. Yeah. I never had that thought, and I look back on it now and I go, oh, that was, God saved my life. You know, just with that sense of, hey, yeah. it, I promised one day, you know. I, I, I think that story needs to be um, told, and I think, I think it should be processed by folks, because whether that's people's story in specifics or not, there's, there's a lot of points along the way that I think people can benchmark off of. Mm-hmm. Because if we're going to be human and live in a fallen world, we're going to have struggles. Yeah. And Jesus even said it. People get this, when they approach faith from the outside looking in in, this, in, a, in a way that isn't necessarily um, as, as deep and biblical as I would hope it would be, they approach it and they say, well, if I'm, if I'm going to believe in God, I have to believe in a God who makes everything perfect for yeah. me or makes me rich and famous yeah. or, you know, prosperity or, or some shallow kind of reinterpretation Where of what the scriptures say. Where do you think get that say. idea from? I think there are a few verses that get uh, proof texted I'm out sure. of scripture that actually use the word prosperity, but they aren't used in the way they're applied. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they're used to apply toward a bunch of worldly success as if God was a means to a bigger end, I think we miss the whole point mm-hmm. of Christianity. It's deeper than that. God is the end mm-hmm. and the means and everything in yeah. between. Uh, but the, the process, uh, I think is is really important in being patient with God on that. But when I hear you tell your story, one of the words that popped into my mind is, well, that's hope. Yeah. You, you said, I never felt like um, this wouldn't get better, even though it was bad, right? Mm-hmm. There's no doubt it was bad. But, and, and hope isn't just like a wish upon a star. Biblically speaking, on the deepest level of how the New Testament describes hope, it's one of the three greatest gifts the Holy Spirit yeah. can give us, faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. And you're living proof of that, how important that hope is. And it's not hope in you. 
mm-hmm. or hope in somebody else or hope in America or hope in as good as those things can be. It's hope in the God of creation, the God of the universe, mm-hmm. the, the God who loves you so much. He sent his son to die on a cross mm-hmm. and that proves the love. Uh, you, if you know that and believe that, then that is going to be something the Holy Spirit can use to inspire hope. Mm-hmm. And that hope, um, you know, it changes everything. Yeah, yeah. And we're, for less this turn into a show where you're interviewing me, which is almost happening. <laughs> I'm <laughs> a I, pastor. I will, I will allow it to happen, too. Don't you know? um, but, yeah, I think that and, and they, you have done, hope has always done something, to go back to something we were talking about a, a little while ago, something that a question that I've been struggling with almost my entire career in ministry which has been why aren't 20 and 30 year olds going to church and in sitting down and having conversations with all these people I think that it's just so and you can speak to if you think this is true I think it's just hard to get them even to consider the possibility that this thing isn't what they remember it being right you know it's been dismissed yeah um, so my brother is a pastor in California and he and I talked about this the other day and he said we're not even on the radar of possibility. Yeah. You know, the church yeah. in Southern California. We're, we've become so completely irrelevant mm-hmm. as, a, as a, even as a remote. When, when young people are looking for answers, they don't think church is what he's saying. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. It's, it's not even on their radar. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's starting to creep into the rest of, the, uh, of our culture, too, and mm-hmm. not just... Southern California and the coast, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's sad, obviously, to me, and not just because I'm a pastor and I love the church, but because I love people, mm-hmm. and that's a huge miss. Yeah, I mean, because what people need in any generation, and what God can offer through a church that doesn't take itself too seriously, but takes God very seriously, and wants to point people to God's grace, not as people who've you know, graduated from needing it. Yeah. But as people who need it just as much as anyone else does, mm-hmm. and the hope that this God gives and inspires in us by His Spirit, if we don't build that bridge, it's just this huge mess. Yeah. I mean, the church is still the hope of the world. Yeah. Uh, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I've pretty much dedicated my life <laughs> to, to trying to do something to help build that bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's bigger than one congregation in one community trying to reach, you know, uh, the neighborhoods that are around us. Yeah. It's it's a bigger issue. Yeah. And uh, it, whatever I can do to to help build that bridge, more generally speaking, I want to be a part of that, too. Were you always going to be a pastor? Was that kind of always the plan? No. Uh, so I went to college as a math major. Oh. Yeah. I was wanted to be an engineer, a I teacher. I, I got there. So I loved math until I took calculus two. <laughs> and and uh, that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. So I realized, well, apparently I'm not as good at this as I thought I was. Um, and if it gets even harder than this after this, then I'm in trouble. Yeah. So uh, at the same time, I was in a liberal arts college, Concordia, like we talked about before. So in a liberal arts curriculum, you have to take humanities and yep. spread around. So I was taking the English class that I thought I had to take to check the box yeah. off. I fell in love with it. I mean, I just fell in love with literature. I fell in love with um, poetry. I fell in love with prose. I fell in love with novels. I fell in love with 
j- just the power of the written word, mm-hmm. and then and then learning how to interpret it, uh, which I think hopefully makes me a more effective pastor as somebody who has to read words and interpret them yeah. and communicate them uh, as a big part of my responsibility as a preacher and teacher. So that really, I think, provided a good foundation for me was falling in love with written words and interpreting them and finding beauty in them mm-hmm. uh, and appreciating them and then trying to find ways to communicate yeah. with words, um, concepts that are bigger than us, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so you ended up with English? Is I ended up with English okay. and uh, communication, so I had two majors. Oh, you did? Okay. Yep. I, uh, my, mine's actually kind of similar, which is that at Simpson Liberal Arts College, we yep. had to take religion classes too. I took a class called Jesus. Guess what it was about? And, uh, <laughs> Give me a few guesses. Super creative naming. It's like, what's this class about? <laughs> Jesus. I can, I picture them in the meeting going like, what's it about? Jesus. Okay. Let's uh, try and think of a better name. Like an hour later, they were just like, I can't, we'll just call it Jesus, I guess. <laughs> I had a friend once who I'd say, so what'd you preach about? He'd be like, God. <laughs> okay. And you're like, great. I'm looking for a little more specificity, <laughs> but all right. And it was really, they could have called it the synoptic gospels, but then I think everyone oh, been like, I'm not taking that. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Jesus um, is more interesting. Yeah. So we, I took that, um, really enjoyed it, hadn't really, and, and, and for the first time I ever sat in a place where they were like, hey, here's an idea. You don't know as much as you think. Right. Um, and going like, oh, maybe I don't. You know, because <laughs> I, I, growing up in a Lutheran church and thinking I was going to be a Lutheran pastor for a long time, I read a lot of Martin Luther when I was in like high school. Why am I? Like everybody does why in am high I, school. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but I did it. Um, and so I got there. I was like, this class will be easy. I already know all this stuff. It really challenged me in a lot of ways that I didn't appreciate at the time. Right. And then jumped around from majors and just uh, had an English minor, actually, so I kind of did the nice. same thing. But um, nice. really, people ask, why did you range in religion? I said, it was the degree I could finish in four years by the time I had changed so many times. <laughs> 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 it kind of gets to that point, right? Yeah. One of the advantages of being in a liberal arts college is you can keep pushing through. I've got enough generic humanities credits. Right. We can just count those and... <laughs> Um, of course, now applying to PA school, it's biting me in the butt a little bit. But yeah, prerequisites, yeah, right? Off. It's, yeah, it's killer. But mm-hmm. um, you, you said something, though, that I, I, I have all, I've found to be true also, which is that degrees like that, like theology and, and English, and especially where you have an English literature uh, focus, mm-hmm. they don't teach you facts as much as they just teach you a way to think about things. Yeah, I had a professor who was fond of saying, we're, we're not here to give you answers, we're here to teach you how to ask questions. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when you hear that, you're like, oh, come on. You know, that's just a little too <laughs> Did you pithy. say that in yeah. the commercial? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a nice little, uh, you know, kind of phrase, mm-hmm. a coin of phrase, but... It's true. I mean, it, and I'm so glad he did. I'm, I'm glad that I learned how to ask questions, mm-hmm. and I'm glad I learned how to approach texts and, uh, yeah, and fall in love with it, the, mm-hmm. the process. So along the way, then, I um, also was, I suppose, falling in love with God on, mm-hmm. a, on a bigger, in, in a deeper way. Yeah. Um, you know, life in college isn't perfect either, and for for me and so for all sorts of reasons no, nothing big or major that I can point to like in your story mm-hmm. where you say well there was this experience and then that forced me this way mine was more just like a bunch of small things that all added up to some big stuff Yeah, and it became pretty clear that um, what my passion was uh, was to make Christ known yeah. you know and and, and 
like my dad always used to say, I like to say too, it's I'm one blind beggar telling other blind beggars where to get some good food. Uh, and I want to share it. I, mm-hmm. I like people and I like God and I want to build that bridge. And so when you, for me, when I realized that's my biggest, I don't have a bigger passion. I have other passions, you mm-hmm. know, but I don't have a bigger one than that. That's, that was a big part of the call. I think that mm-hmm. God had in my life to become a pastor. Then. Yeah. I have found, I, I like that because I think that what people might expect from someone in your position mm-hmm. is some kind of story where it's like, and then yeah. I had that moment where I realized, you know, yes. and instead it's just kind of like, no, I, over the course of time, yeah. this is the way, because I think that probably happens more often. If we're going to be honest, it, yeah. it was a crockpot. It yeah. was, it was, yeah, this is what I guess I'm doing because I can't imagine doing anything else. Now, that doesn't mean everybody with a passion for God and faith automatically should be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Just because of all the different things that were going on, um, my love for the Word, my love for interpreting the Word, for communicating the Word, for all those kinds of things, even though I'm a very nervous public speaker, um, all that kind of put together, well, if I have a passion for this, I can try to help build that bridge in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I can be a... Um, I can be a teacher, I can be an engineer, I could be a lawyer, I could be a doc, I could be I could be a business person in the marketplace but from a Christ-centered perspective. So you don't have to become a pastor right, yeah. in order to uh fulfill this passion you have to to uh make Christ known. Mm-hmm. Uh but in my case that made the most sense mm-hmm. and so that's why I do what I do. Have you always loved people? Is that always Yeah. Been yeah, I I really do. I I um I was always the kid in the playground who was worried about the kids were getting picked on. Yeah. And because I'm bigger, it usually wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know. I've just always felt a, a real um, pain for injustice. Yeah. And it, which helps as a pastor, too, and, and probably inspires a lot of the mission stuff we do here. Mm-hmm. That we can't just sit still. Yeah. That this faith isn't just about what we can consume out of it and get out of it, but it's something we're to activate so that we can bring light into dark places mm-hmm. and, and bring some hope to some hurting people uh, and do it as much as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. That faith without that stuff makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. I mean, it's just, if all you're doing is breathing in, you're going to pass out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to breathe out at some point and mm-hmm. put your faith out there and, and it... Even if it doesn't inspire you to go out and evangelize somebody or, you know, lead someone to Christ, at least let it inspire you to to do good for others. Mm-hmm. Um, not as a means of salvation, but as a response to salvation. So, yeah, uh, yeah that... Sorry, I got a little sidetracked. But you hit a passion. You, you, hit a, you, hit a, you hit a passion vein. Yeah. And so, you know, mm-hmm. we just start shooting down that road. Well, I have a paramedic. I'm no good at hitting veins. I, 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 <laughs> I, I try to put it in a, in a language that you would understand. Yeah. I, again, similarly have realized about myself that um, I, I wrote a piece once where I was talking about me having a hero complex yeah. because... Uh, I told my therapist, and I, was, I had a conversation with my girlfriend about this too, which is that if you were to ask me how was Afghanistan, I would tell you that it sucked. Um, and that I would not want to go back. And I've often said you couldn't pay me enough money to go back. But I told, I've told a couple people now, the reality is that if they called today and said we need you to go back, we, a lot, not just me, a lot of us would go, okay. Yeah. Wow. When do we leave? You know, because for whatever reason, you're like, that's the job 
I'm supposed to do. So that's who you are, right? Mm-hmm. That you're you're that person who is gonna answer the call to help, mm-hmm. and that's probably why you're a, a paramedic. It's probably why you wanted to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. It's probably be why you're going into PA school mm-hmm. because you you're gonna help people. You, I, you can't. You're not the kind of person who can do something that's all about you. Yeah. I actually realized the other day I was uh, filling out grad school applications and yet I was writing like uh, putting in stuff about what I'd done for jobs and stuff and I had this realization I was like oh I've never done a job that wasn't some kind of service I've hmm. never had one that yeah. wasn't that huh. um, and it, that was the moment where I started processing all this like huh what's up with that you know well so here's the thing so so then people might hear that and say because I think that's so true they might hear that but they'll say well okay well that's not I've got a job or a vocation Mm -hmm. that isn't service, so does that mean I don't care as much or whatever? And my response to that would be absolutely not. Um, I think God wired us all up to serve. And, and And if circumstances would have been different, I could see myself in the marketplace or mm-hmm. in, you know, w- working in a law firm or working in a school as a teacher or all sorts of different things, a counselor, a therapist. I could see myself doing all these different things that would all, no matter what your vocation is, you can serve. Mm-hmm. You said you read Luther in high school. So here's one of my favorite Luther stories. <laughs> the shoe cobbler comes up to Martin Luther and says, well, I've, I've had a transformation and, uh, you know, I have experienced the good news of Christ and I've, I've gone from dark to light. I've become a Christian, right? So he, he said, to, the shoe cobbler says to Luther, I guess that means I have to go into ministry and become a pastor. And Martin Luther said, well, not unless you're called to, to be a pastor. <laughs> he said, instead, why don't you go back and be a shoe cobbler, make a really good shoe, sell it for an honest price. And in so doing, you're worshiping God mm-hmm. and, and you're glorifying God just as much as you would as a pastor. Yeah. So that's service too. Yeah. Um, so whatever it is you do, the Bible says, and mm-hmm. so let's just go there, mm-hmm. you know, for a good source, <laughs> a good well, uh, for some really good water. <laughs> whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And, and then it's service. Mm-hmm. And it's also going to put some boundaries that are good for you and others yeah. too. You're not going to cheat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you're not going to intentionally hurt people. You're mm-hmm. not going to go out and make it all about you. It's, it's going to be, you know, I'm opening up this retail shop because I want to, I'm passionate about selling widgets and I want people to have good widgets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to sell them for an honest price. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that ministers to people too. Mm-hmm. I had, I dealt with it for a while. I was uh, freaking myself out about, about that because I also realized that I really like being the person that uh, other people are like oh thank god that guy showed up you know like <laughs> that kind of thing yeah. I was like, Boy, that's a little narcissistic you know spent some time working through that he's like mm, that might not be the healthiest the way to come about this it's like Mighty Mouse here he comes to save the day yeah exactly but it was a little bit of that and then you know um, in, in, in the I've come around on in the best possible way which is just the like it's it's well you said it before. It's just I just can't imagine not having being in that position, and um, that's the right thing for me to be doing. Yeah, and you know, of all the things to err on, err on trying to be heroic for people who are hurting. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I it's guess not, so. <laughs> there are worse things that you can obsess on. Yeah, there are. Yeah, um, I want to talk touch on the public speaking thing, and some I don't know if people find this or not. As a public speaker, also yeah. I find it fascinating. Yeah. I didn't realize that you were like a super nervous person about it. Oh dear goodness gracious, yes. <laughs> um, 
I I don't I can't imagine somebody being more nervous than me. Here, really? here I'll give a because we're getting deep into this conversation, and so if people the, for to reward the people who are still listening, mm-hmm. and I'm going to embarrass myself. <laughs> I am a Sunday morning two-shirt preacher. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a big sweater the rest of the week. Yeah, you know, yeah. but just in your normal life. In my normal yeah. life, I do not go through shirts, <laughs> but on Sunday mornings. I have to have a spare uh, oh around because it is just a traumatic experience wow. for me. Yeah, I, I, it, it's been good for my prayer life. It's increased my yeah. dependence on God, um, and I'm I'm living proof that that uh, you know it's got to be a God thing or it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so surrender is a is a part of the weekly routine. How do you how do you process the huge amount of anxiety you must have then? When you have to do this on, it's part of your job. You do it every week almost. To to. So it used to be, it used to be harder because it was, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. Plus, what if I completely pass out and die? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the irrational. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it was rational. I don't know. Yeah. What if I, what if I don't actually physically make it through this, this sermon? Because actually in college, uh, our campus pastor had me do the Bible reading one Sunday, yeah. just just the Bible reading, where I went up, I stood in front of the microphone, I held the Bible, and all I was supposed to do was read the text, something people volunteers do here mm-hmm. all the time. All the time, um, and I I couldn't get through it. I started to do it, and my hands were shaking so much just because it was a public speaking situation yeah. that. I couldn't see the words anymore. And I, you know, in shame, had to close the Bible and walk away. Mm-hmm. I, could, I couldn't do it. Um, thank God the campus pastor was so kind. Yeah. And he came along, so he says, yeah, it happens to a lot. He says, I've seen that. And I have. I've actually seen that in three or four other people in the yeah. last 20 years. Sure. But I thought, and that was after I thought I was called to be a pastor. Oh, what a scary moment! So now, and I'm like, if I can't even get up there and read the Bible reading, how am I supposed? How am I ever going to preach a sermon? Yeah, which I'd never done before. Mm -hmm. So that's me. If I mean, that's that's the natural me. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. So there has to be some sort of supernatural thing that takes over, and that's why I can't take myself too seriously. Yeah, as a as a preacher or a communicator, even uh, I'm passionate about it. I get excited about it. I am pretty creative. God's given me that Mm -hmm. gift, but. I don't like a lot of preachers say my favorite thing to do is stand up there and preach. It's not. Wow. <laughs> it's not. It's something that I like to get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I'm done, I breathe and then it's like, okay. How how do you feel when you're when you're up there in in the moment of speaking? Do you even have cuz I, I I will say maybe this will inform your answer a little bit. I would say when I'm speaking, a lot of the time people come to me after and go, I really liked when you said this. And I'm like, when did I say that? Because yeah. I don't have a great recollection for what I said. It happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. Or people will say, remember that sermon you said? It was really meaningful to me. And I'll say, well, I'm glad God used that for you. But I don't Yeah. I don't remember even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that happens a lot. And that's humbling too. Yeah. But it's also really reassuring. So I... So I was starting to say before, and I just didn't finish the thought, sorry, but... That's okay. So when I was younger, as a, as a preacher, it was, I think I might pass out and die, yeah. and that was really scary. I don't think that anymore. Um, now it's like, well, worst case scenario, this just goes really poorly, and that happens. I lay an egg, and I'll 
try again next week, mm-hmm. you know? And so God's used that to comfort me. The, the other thing that I always remember that's really helpful is before I preached my first sermon, my dad knows me and he knew I was really nervous. Yeah. He left a note up in the pulpit at our home church back in Chicago. And I read it before I started preaching. And it said, um, to paraphrase, uh, this is, you've got this in your heart. You've got this in your head. There's nothing to worry about. Preach for an audience of one, yeah. uh, for God, and don't worry about what everybody else thinks, which gets back to yeah. our conversation earlier. So that sets me free. And so when I'm actually up there preaching, I get really nervous at first, and then I catch my breath, and I'm usually okay until the end, mm-hmm. and I don't think about being nervous anymore because I'm I'm in a zone, yeah. you know, and, and I'm, I'm focused on my audience of one. Mm-hmm. Because I want to preach a sermon that honors God, yeah. and um, and I want to not. I don't want to focus on making sure that I'm pleasing people mm-hmm. with the sermon. When I do that, God tends to use it in, yeah. a, in a bigger way. Because then it's His, yeah. and it's not mine. Definitely, I will say, and I would say this to you, people, even if you weren't in the room, which is that uh, that's so surprising to me because I would say that you were one of the better communicators that I've ever. Mm-hmm had the good fortune of seeing regularly Thanks. and that you were also a big influence on me as a speaker mm-hmm. because there was a point when I started preaching mostly at Simpson that I did I don't know if you're aware I did immersion a couple times yep. and did oh, you yeah. know, um, and there was a point when I was like uh, I don't really know what I'm doing mm-hmm. so what I'm going to do is look at speakers that I like mm-hmm. and I was like Mike is one of them mm-hmm. you know and like Nate Noble mm-hmm. um, very, and then very like, talented. I was watching a lot of um Rob Bell just because I could yep. see him and how he moved and how yep. he interacted with people and I yep. still I still hold on to some phrases um, from him that I will still use to when I feel people drifting or when I feel but you were one of the people that I was like well Mike's good at it I'll just try and be like that until I figure out how I'm going to do it so I think it's, it's just shocking to me to find out that this is really something that is a big source of anxiety for you and really not you know yeah and there's there's a part of me that would rather nobody know but I kind of got over that yeah because I what I found is that when I'm honest about this it it is just a real world example of there must be a god mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean there there has to be some way that that is yeah. working if Mike if we come off stage and don't remember what we said it must not have been us talking you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean like it, yeah. it must have been if I come off and go like how did it go I really don't remember <laughs> and everyone's like oh it was great it's like, oh well, that must not have been me then you know yeah, yeah. no no that's true and and by preaching it five times a weekend usually by the fifth time I remember <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. I've heard some of it somewhere along the way I've but. never you know that's funny I've never ever gotten to give the same sermon twice hmm um so I would be because curious. like immersion when you did that it was a it's one shot yep. one and done deal and when I would schedule myself at Simpson when I was in charge while that sure. it was all, it's just one service one service yeah. so. you should try it sometime I, I guess so <laughs> <laughs> um, well we're coming around on the point where uh, we'll probably wrap up here shortly um, I like to at the end we go through just some lighter stuff about uh, what you're into and that kind of thing if sure. you want to do that so. great I've really enjoyed this me too I'm Chris so glad you could, thank you for making the time to do it it's really fun I forget the microphone's here and yeah. we're just talking I, I, I love well. I love the tone of this whole podcast mm-hmm. it's great thank you yeah that's um, somebody I've said this a couple of times now somebody was very nice and said uh well, you really get people to be open up. I don't know how you do that. And I said, I don't know how I do it either. <laughs> we'll see. There you go. <laughs> Good example, right? But it is us. I mean, it's not, it's God. It's a God thing. But he is working it through us. And mm-hmm. so 
I don't want to over-spiritualize that stuff either. Sure. I think that's worth noting. Uh, you know, God parted the sea, but Moses and the Israelites had to walk. Mm-hmm. And so it is you. It, 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 and I think it's okay to acknowledge humbly who's doing it. Yeah. But at the same time, not be falsely humble and say, you're a good interviewer. You're, you, you set a good, relaxed environment so people can open up. And that's a gift. And so, yay, God, and good for you mm-hmm. for, for uh, not hiding it I, and I, putting it out there. And hopefully the gifts God's given to me, you know, um, even though I'm not naturally going to be a speaker, I think he's gifted me in being mm-hmm. able to do that. And so um, I'm learning to enjoy it a little more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After 20 years, you're, yeah, you're leaving. Yeah. Or at least learning to know I'm not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I was, um, I will tell you this too, I was tremendously impressed with, um, I played, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you about two moments actually. One of them is the first time I ever played Easter here when I was on staff. Uh, and uh, I never get nervous playing music I've yeah. never ever been nervous playing music yeah. and then all of a sudden before that I was like wait a minute how many people come to this thing <laughs> and I, was, I wasn't I was just playing the banner I think I was leading one of the songs or something oh, and I just had this moment of like what am I doing here like this is not my job I don't do this like I'm not a musician like um, then I'm with Perry and I'm like Perry is the one who should be doing it like I don't belong here um, you, no God had you right where yeah I know and yeah. it's I uh, I was at a different interview. I a girl I was interviewing mentioned that um, we all have this fear of being found out, like this fear of, um, hey, we just figured out that you're not actually supposed to be here. You know? <laughs> that that's underneath it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that gets back to that. What are people going to think? Mm-hmm. What if they find out I don't know what I'm doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. um, but then the other thing that was, I, that was impressive to me was then when I came back last this last year and played Easter. And I hadn't seen you or spoken to you in a very long time. That's fine. And and you walked up to me and said, so, I hear, and just rattled off a bunch of stuff that was happening in my life. And I was like, how does he even know that? And I was talking to Perry about it, and I go, that's a big, and I mean this as a compliment, that's one of the reasons why I think this place has become as, as I hate to use the word successful, but you know what I mean, as successful as it has, because there is a, I think people feel valued when they come in here and that made me feel I was like gosh that's so I can't believe he would even be aware of anything I was doing you know good Um, well I'm glad for that but hopefully what happens there is like I said earlier I like people mm -hmm. and so I care about what you're doing and what you're going through Um, and it's too big of a church for me to know everybody's story now but I know yours or at least parts of it and so I'm always going to be interested Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm always going to be an interested observer as to what happens to Chris Petrick, mm-hmm. you know, your next stages, your next steps. Um, so you're stuck with that, whether you want it or when not. My, when my podcast empire takes yeah. off. <laughs> but here's the thing. So even though hope's too big for me to know those stories about everybody who comes here, hopefully that is something that enough people who come here do Yeah. so that everybody's known. So not everybody needs to be known by the senior pastor, mm-hmm. but I think everybody needs to be known. Yeah. It's like Norm walking into Cheers, right? Yep. yep. You, you got to have that place where everybody knows your name, where people care mm-hmm. and genuinely care. And so uh, hopefully that transfers out. I think it does. And I think that the feeling that I always have coming here is it feels small, even though it's not. Yeah, because people, 
if you aren't friendly, this isn't going to be a real comfortable place no. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you don't like people, mm-hmm. you, you may not like hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because people here like each other. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of love, you know, that mm-hmm. flows around the hallways and and uh, people share with one another. I always tell thing. people, if you're going to come check this out, come on Sunday evening. There's, yeah. it's, the, it's the smart one to come to. Yeah. There's less people here. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly. can just ease into it. It's very it's relaxed, like, yeah, right? Yeah. Very casual. I like, always felt like the vibe was a little different. It is. Sunday it is. And then when you're ready for high energy, come on Sunday yeah, morning. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, Maybe by the time Christmas Eve comes around, you'll be ready for that. <laughs> yeah. That takes some doing. Yeah. I told uh, the first one of those I ever did, uh, I must have been talking to my parents or something, and, they were, and I said, we had X number of people come through the door in the day, and they were like, how? they said, no, that's, they, and they, they took a zero off of it. Right. Like, that meant, I go, no, 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 I, I know what number I said. <laughs> I did not make a, it was not a mistake. <laughs> this was another beat where I'm like, what am I doing here, you know? It reminds me of one of my favorite stories, hope stories real quick is there was a, a woman who hit, her friend was trying to invite her to hope for a long, long time. And finally, by like the seventh invitation, she's like, she wore her down. Okay, yeah. fine, I'll come. So she shows up for hope. And as they're walking out in the parking lot after the service, her friend who'd been coming to hope for years and finally got her friend to come says, so what did you think? You know, all excited about it. And her friend goes, I need a beer. <laughs> 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 but the story ends well. She came back the next week ah. and, and the week after that and the week after that. And now she's one of our great volunteers oh, around so here. So she's all in. Um, but it takes, you know, uh, I, if you're expecting a certain kind of, uh, of experience in church, some good, you know, is it traditional, all that mm-hmm. kind of thing, um, it, it takes a little getting used There's to. There's a bit of culture shock. There's a little bit of culture shock, but once you realize what it is, I think then mm-hmm. it becomes uh, hopefully a positive experience for a lot of people. I totally agree. And for those who, who don't want that, there are a lot of other churches that are on the same team yeah, and we're yeah. happy to share. Yeah, and what, let's help, you know, I always like that attitude, like if, if this turns out not to be yeah. a place for you, we want to help you well, find the place that is. We, we love the other churches around here. We want mm-hmm. them to do well too. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, well, the, the other stuff, yeah. the not church stuff. Yeah. What, is, what, is, what are you reading currently, Mike? Oh, uh, so I'm, I'm rereading a book uh, called The Other Side of 1984 uh, by Leslie Newbigin mm-hmm. uh, from way back when. And it's a reminder that um, as important as it is to build bridges between uh, God and culture, uh, we can't let culture lead that mm-hmm. process. We have to listen to culture, but ultimately it has to be, it's bringing God to culture. It's not changing God for the sake of culture. Mm-hmm. So. Is that in reference to the Orwell book, 1984? It is. Okay. The Other Side of 1984, yeah. yeah. There we go. See? English minor. It's only <laughs> good. Nice. I was looking at my transcripts the other day and realized I took a class called Major Plays of Shakespeare. I was like, boy, that really turned out to be useful. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, took that class, too. <laughs> we probably read the same play. Yeah, right? we did. We did. Um, out spot. <laughs> I had to, I had to, I had to, you know, edit that the cuss word out there. I was in Hamilton College. It was the last. Oh, thing you I were. Oh, so you're way ahead then. I, I was Horatio, and uh, wow, yeah, got to open and close the play. Oh my goodness! And I, I'll say, you'll probably think this is funny. I, so I was. These are all acting majors and like very serious theater people, and I showed up and was like, I acted in high school. I'll give this a try. You know. <laughs> 
And then I got a call back, and I was like, I don't know what that is. And they said, well, you have to come back tomorrow and audition. I was like, we just... I just did audition. <laughs> I was like, we just did? Why would I have to come? They, if they don't want me in it, they don't have to, they can just tell Can't me Can't you now. see how talented I am? <laughs> or I was kind of like, don't you see that I really don't... I, even at that point, Mike, I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. You guys seem very serious. And then uh, I ended up getting it, and we sat down to do the table read. And the first... I'm never going to forget this. The first line of the play that I say is... Uh, what is it you would see? And I just kind of read it like that. I was like, what is it you would see? The, and kept reading And she stopped me. Jennifer Ross was the director's name. She stopped me and goes, hang on. I want you to think about how your... I swear this is what she said. I want you to think about how your character would say that. And I was like... <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and I go, okay, do you want me to read it again? And what I really wanted was for her to just tell me how to say it. But she's like, no, don't read it again. Just think about how you're saying it. And I was like, oh, boy, this is, uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't, um... <laughs> wow, Chris. Yeah, so how did Horatio say that? Um, I, I ended up saying it as, uh, what is it you would see? Because uh-huh. she, she explained to me that it was inviting, and I've subsequently used this as an illustration for, um, for, like, in preaching or writing and stuff. Sure. That, um... It is an invitation to view these events and um, take away what you will from them. And kind of the question is, what are you looking for? Uh, in my mind, um, so that it look was at like, you. See, so you nailed it. Yeah, there. Well, yeah, it took me. Well, how long ago was that? <laughs> Seven years. So <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but um, that was the last acting thing I did. I was like, well, this might not be for me. Yeah, but I was uh, I was Vince Fontaine in Greece. And oh, I got talked into it. There you go. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the just the horrendously immoral DJ who hits on the high school girl at the, at the dance. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of not good. What's uh, what's the last uh, movie you saw? Ooh, it's been a while. So like at the theater? Yeah, or, I would say at the theater. Um, must not have been very good because it's not jumping. It's not to memorable. Mind. Yeah, it's not memorable at all. Um. I'm drawing a blank, Chris. That's all right. Uh, I can't remember. I would also ask you what your go-to, like, if I'm going to watch a movie is, but I think I know that it's Hoosiers. Hoosiers would be up there. Rudy <laughs> would be up there. Um, see, I, I love movies. Uh, I would say for for deeper stuff, A River Runs Through It mm-hmm. would be up there. Good father-son stuff. Um, I really liked Inception. I did, too. Um when you said in the last movie you saw in the theater, it reminded me the last time I was in the theater and I just really experienced a movie that was mm-hmm. Inception. I was so into it. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was cool on so many levels. Um, so, yeah, those would be, all be up there. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I, there are some... Uh, About Time is a quirky little movie hmm. that came out uh, not that long ago, but I think it's so rich because it reminds people to appreciate today. Yeah, uh, as the gift God has given, and not get so focused on the future that they lose today. Yeah. Um, what you seem like you read a lot. Um, what would be your best sort of book recommendations for people that listen? We have a lot of people that listen that read a lot, so I've always I always like to throw those things out. Wow, I I like to read leadership books, mm-hmm. but but my favorite thing to read is biographies, oh, as we mm-hmm. talked about before. Uh, but I, I, the reason I like to read biographies of, of all sorts of different kinds of people um, is it, there's always more to the story. Yeah. And I'm always intrigued by that. And I think there's so much to learn from that. 
almost everybody who has any success on whatever level has gone through all sorts of failure and all sorts of challenges. Um, there aren't too many, you know, fairy tale, once upon a time, happily ever after, and everything in between is just wonderful. And I'm just intrigued by that. Yeah. I, I, so, so I'm a big fan of biographies, not just to learn about the people you're reading about, but to learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I have uh, been having my mind blown by Richard Rohr mostly over the last several months because somebody said, read this book, and it just opened it. Oh, yeah. I opened the floodgates on that guy and uh, just how much I like not even some of the things he's saying I'm like I've thought that but he's just saying it a lot better than I am yeah, yeah. yeah. that was my book that you, you were, they were I was gonna write but you did it better so that's fine yeah exactly um no, I like what you say about autobiographies. I'm wearing wearing a bracelet currently that says your your story is important, mm. and I've realized about myself that I am just in love with narrative, yeah. and listening. The reason I do this is so that people can tell stories, yeah. think about their stories, ascribe meaning to the things that have happened yeah. to them, and that you'd be you might not be surprised, but almost every time I sit down with somebody, they go, I really don't know what I'm gonna. I don't think I have anything to talk about, and I'm right. like, you'd be surprised, right. you know. Right. Um, yeah. You'd there's so much more we could have talked about. Right, yeah. We, we might have to do another one. Uh, part two. Yeah. There you go. It, uh, it's, it's happened previously. Jer- I could have, Jeremy and I probably would have been four hours long if he hadn't <laughs> had a meeting at three o'clock. <laughs> it's always good in conversations to leave something for the next time. Yeah, exactly. You know? Even as much as I want them to go on. And on uh, be- better that than having a, a podcast where you kind of get to the point halfway through and you're like, we're done. <laughs> I'm out of things oh, to say here. Oh, shoot, we ran out. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing left even remotely interesting <laughs> to talk about. Um, well, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. It was I, delightful. I really enjoyed it, Chris. Good. And I appreciate you coming in. And, yeah. And I appreciate you putting this out there. Yeah. Good for you. I, and, uh, and, and good for us for being able to to listen to it and to tap into the conversations you're having with people. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I have really enjoyed it. I've been shocked by the number of people that continue to listen to it. Um, and I think that it's one of the, somebody asked me the other day it's like so what are we trying to do with this and I go nothing I'm like if we stop tomorrow I'd be happy with what we did you know um, reminds me of the Seinfeld approach yeah what's nothing. it about nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but look how wonderful that was <laughs> alright everybody um, Mike is here most weekends you can find him uh, you can come hear him speak and now you know behind the curtain all that happens before that so. two shirts Mike two shirts Mike is that a nickname we're trying to get going oh please no <laughs> <laughs> I'll, we'll, we'll see how many people uh, you know listened all the way through yeah yeah and you can find uh, me on Twitter at Chris Petrick there's nothing really I don't tweet much but um, and you can find the show on Facebook um, go to iTunes give us a rating and review that helps me somehow <laughs> Mitch Matthew, Matthew, this is a, a friend of ours, was explaining to me that uh, that's important and explaining, like, the algorithm. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, you're just nodding going, like, yeah, yeah. But I, you really lost me. Like, <laughs> um, but pop-up people have been giving us ratings and stuff, and it helps um, helps people find it. So, Mike, thanks again. Great Appreciate it. You. See everybody next week. Bye, all. And you keep the air in my lungs Floating along as a melody comes And my heart beats like timpani drums Keeping the time wild